Hello everyone and welcome to the actual second episode of Wilderness Matters where we discuss the skills, science, and gear necessary to enjoy the outdoors safely and responsibly. I'm your host Joe, the creator of Balefire Outdoors on YouTube. Today we'll be discussing several of the myths surrounding hydration, be it while backpacking or for survival. But first, the best ways to support the show is to leave us a review on iTunes and other places where you get your podcasts, and also follow us over on YouTube and Instagram at Balefire Outdoors. Links to those things and everything else I mentioned in this episode will be in the show notes below. Another thing is that this video will be primarily using American Imperial Measurement, so for those of you in metric countries, aka the rest of the world, I apologize in advance. Now, before we get into understanding the myths about hydration, we want to understand why they're so important, and that's by talking about dehydration. It is one of the biggest threats to us when we're in the outdoors. Number one is hemorrhaging that can kill us in 30 seconds or a couple minutes, depending on the severity of the wound. Number two is exposure to extreme heat or extreme cold that can kill us in a matter of hours. And then number three is dehydration, which can kill us in a matter of days. And the unfortunate truth about dehydration, at least in the United States, is the average American is already dehydrated to some extent in their day-to-day -day life. So we'll be going into these outdoor situations already behind the curve. So we really want to make sure we're taking dehydration seriously. We're packing appropriately. We're planning our routes appropriately so that we go by watering spots, be they lakes, rivers, streams, or man-made watering holes. We just want to make sure we're taking dehydration seriously. Dehydration is not a pleasant way to go. You start off with extreme thirst, obviously, dark colored urine, less frequent urine. You're going to get tired, dizzy, confused, but then your organs are going to start shutting down and things go downhill very quickly from there. It is not a pleasant way to go and it can go very, very quickly, especially if you're going to be outside in arid environments or really hot environments. Now, the first thing when talking about hydration is how much should we drink per day? That's the first myth. A lot of people still think that eight cups a day is perfectly fine and it's not. It is far too few. Uh, that is old research that has long since been debunked. What we normally are going to be recommending here for emergency situations as well as for backpacking and general outdoorsmanship is a gallon of water per day or about four liters. The reason why we're recommending this is it's a little bit more than what the general recommendation is for grown adults and a little bit more is always a good thing because we're already probably coming into this dehydrated a little bit extra will very much help us catch up to where we should be and then the what's left over the water is what we need that day. So going with a gallon or four liters of water is going to help with that. It's also very easy to remember and it's very easy to calculate how much you drank from that. Uh, so it's very easy to plan out, very easy to pack. And because of that, you're more likely to remember and be able to achieve that goal of drinking one gallon or four liters a day. The simpler things are, the easier they are to remember and calculate, the more likely we are to do them and go through with them. So we really want to make sure we're going to be going and trying at least to drink one gallon or four liters every single day we are outdoors. Now that brings up the question, how are we getting that water? Are we going to pack in all of that water? Obviously you can't if you're going for, you know, three days, one gallon of water is about 8.3 pounds. So three days worth of water is a whole heck of a lot. For some people, that's their entire pack weight worth of water. So it's unreasonable to expect people to bring in that much water. 
my recommendation is to at least pack in half a gallon or around two liters. I think that's a good uh, entry-level way to just bring in half of one day's worth of water, and from there you can refill your canteens throughout the day and as you hike and all of that stuff. So I, I really want to see people bringing in at least half a gallon or two liters when they go in for a hike or any sort of outdoorsman trip. Some people will say, well, even then, that's still too heavy. I have a filter. I just won't pack any water. And, th and that's myth number two, that just bringing a filter is good enough. I can find water while I'm out there. I'll use a filter. There's lots of things that can go wrong with that. First of all, if you're in dry, arid environments, a filter is going to be a hard thing to use if there's no natural water sources. Uh, so just packing a water filter isn't going to help you because there's nowhere for you to use it. For colder climates, that filter can freeze up and thus stop working and thus no longer filter out that water. So you might as well just be drinking it directly, which can get you sick, cause things like diarrhea and vomiting, and thus dehydrate you further. Now, it's still better to drink from potentially contaminated water than not drink at all, but it really depends on the area and the situation, the things you're most likely to come across. Uh, as many people have said in the outdoors community, I'd rather be found by water pooping my pants than found dead. Uh, so it's, it's really something you need to look forward to in terms of planning. You need to look for what viral pathogens you're going to be dealing with in your local water, what kind of bacterial pathogens, and just how bad it would be if you were to ingest them unfiltered. Ideally, we don't want to be doing that. We want to be bringing a filter, obviously, and other purification methods, uh, but we just don't want to rely on them so heavily that we don't pack any water at all, because packing even just half of our day's worth of water could potentially save us. So we want to make sure we're packing water. Don't just rely on your filter. And one other issue with filters is they might not necessarily filter out all the contaminants in the water, even if they're working appropriately. For example, most filters on the market only handle bacteria and viruses and things of that nature, but they don't handle chemical and heavy metal pollution. Uh, depending on what's in that water, it could be a long-term issue where if it's your frequent camping spot, over time that could cause damage, such as ingesting lead, silver, and things like that. Or it could be something a little bit more serious where just a little bit of it could get you very, very, very sick. Uh, say there was some sort of spill you weren't aware of and that immediately washed into your waterway the night before, you could be in some trouble. Uh, so filters are great, they're important, you should bring them, but just don't use them as a crux for being silly. Bring some water, do your research on your waterways and make sure you understand what's going on and what spills into that waterway and what could potentially contaminate it, not just organically, but inorganically as well. That brings us to myth number three. I brought up the freezing of the filter. Uh, some people say, well, I just don't need a filter or to bring water at all in winter because I can melt snow. Melting snow is something a lot of people bring up or eating snow. We're not going to talk about eating snow in terms of hypothermia in this episode, but I do want to talk about melting snow in terms of getting water for hydration. And the issue with melting snow is that snow is mostly air. Snow is only about 10% water. Now, obviously that changes depending on the weather front and, and what's going on with the humidity and all that stuff. But in general, snow is only about 10% water, 90% air. And so when we melt snow, we're getting very, very, very little water. In order to get our gallon a day of water, we have to melt about 10 gallons worth of snow. 
That's a whole heck of a lot of snow that you got to gather and melt just to meet your daily needs. And that's a lot of fuel wasted to melt it and things like that. What is better to melt if you're going to go that route is ice. Ice is 90% water, 10% air. And so if you melt a gallon of ice, it's going to be almost a gallon of water. And so that's a much better route to go than melting snow. You shouldn't rely on melting snow as a primary way of getting water. Uh, it's just a very long, intensive process. It's not reliable. And also, it's not even really sanitary. Sure, you can boil it, but there are chemical pollutants that can get in snow. There's biological pollutants that can get in snow. Unless the snow is completely fresh, there's no guarantee that it's sanitary. And that's why a lot of people recommend you don't eat snow either, as well as hypothermia and um, potentially exacerbating frostbite on your lips. But uh, we're not really talking about that in this episode. Melting ice is much better than melting snow, but there's issues with melting ice as well, if we're going to be honest here. Melting ice, you have to have ice in the first place. Snow is usually all over the ground in winter places. Ice, you need to find a body of water, whether it's a deep puddle, a lake, river, stream, whatever. You still have to have a source of ice, and the other issue is the source of ice itself. You could slip. You could fall into an area that's not completely frozen over and get wet and then have to deal with hypothermia. Uh, so ice does have its own drawbacks as well, mostly the finding and procurement of ice. But if you have to choose one or the other, melt ice. And so what I do is I pack in water, and even if that water freezes, I can still melt it and be okay. I'm not just going to not bring in water because, oh no, it might freeze. What you do is pour a little bit out. All you have to do is take a little bit of math. You go ahead, and for me, I take a gallon of water. I pour out two cups. That's about enough room to allow that water to expand as it becomes ice, and then I can thaw it out from there, or I can melt it from there, and my container hasn't burst because I allowed it room to grow when it froze, so it got bigger. Uh, so I plan for it to freeze, and thus I still have a good way to get water. Whereas if I didn't plan to get it freeze, and I, I brought just a full gallon of water, filled the container to the top, that could freeze and burst, and now I'm out of container I could use to get more water, and I'm just stuck with one gallon of ice I can, I can go through and chip off and melt. I can only use that container once, whereas if I planned accordingly, I can reuse it again and again. Uh, so I would recommend bring your own water, even if it's going to freeze, because then you can heat it up and still get most of that water back. Again, ice is 90% water, where snow is only 10% water. Now, moving off of winter survival, let's talk about sugar and electrolytes. That's another myth that a lot of people just don't understand. A lot of people think sugar is an electrolyte, so they just pour a ton of it into their water and say, well, I'm replacing all the electrolytes I'm losing from sweating. Sugar is not an electrolyte, but it does help with electrolytes being absorbed into the body as well as water. So sugar is important for hydration, but it's not an electrolyte on its own. You don't just bring a packet of sugar, dump it in your water, and there's your electrolytes. That's not how that works. And the other issue with electrolytes a lot of people don't understand is where to get your electrolytes from. A lot of them, obviously, you'll get from food, but if you're going to be in a dehydrated state, you probably shouldn't be eating. Eating and digestion takes water away from your body to do those processes and to form the fecal mass, aka poop. 
Uh, so you are going to be losing water if you are dehydrated. So eating while dehydrated is often not recommended unless you absolutely have to, say in a cold weather environment where you need those calories to keep warm. Because again, hypothermia will kill you before dehydration or impaction will. Uh, so that's just a matter of priorities. Uh, do I die in two days because I'm dehydrated or do I die in a couple hours because I'm too cold? Uh, so that's really where you, you really have to make your life and death decisions. Um, so you want to understand that your electrolytes might not be able to come from your food, but you still need to replace them when you're dehydrated to help you stay hydrated because that's what electrolytes help do is help keep your body moving, keep your organs moving correctly, and also help with fluid transport. You can get your electrolytes from simple drink pouches. These will often, yes, have sugar, but that sugar is there to help, one, boost your mood and keep your blood sugars level, but also it helps with the electrolytes that are also in those drink pouches to transport fluid and to themselves be transported. What I have is a little bit more expensive. It's just liquid IV. It's the hydration multiplier. It has sugar primarily as well as the potassium and the sodium chloride, a.k.a. salt. Uh, so sodium and potassium are very important electrolytes in our body, as well as magnesium, to keep our heart and major organs healthy and ticking. So sodium and potassium are very important. You could throw potentially a magnesium tablet in here, and that'll help as well. But these little drink pouches, you can get cheaper ones. What you're really just looking for is an electrolyte profile with some sugar to help those electrolytes transport into your body as well as to help water transport into your body. Uh, so it doesn't have to be something like liquid IV or any of these uh, more expensive scientifically backed uh, type drink pouches. Just find one that has those ingredients. You want salt, you want potassium, you want sugar, and ideally you would also have magnesium as well and, and those will help you you can add those to the water and that way you're getting your electrolytes back into your body but not draining your body of fluid by having to digest food again when we're dehydrated we want to try avoid eating the best we can unless we're in a cold weather environment now when we talk about electrolytes and things like sport drink mixes and stuff inevitably you're going to come up to the, the most cliche memed made fun of topic in the outdoors when it comes to hydration and that is drinking your own urine this myth has been around for a long time and it's been perpetuated by people like bear grills who is a well-renowned and documented faker as well as shows like dual survival where people like joseph teddy or td however you want to pronounce it uh drank his own urine a little bit of it for as he said a psychological edge and not hydration uh people see this on tv the TV tells them that these people are survival experts when they're really not. And then they believe that it's actually true. They're trusting them as an authority because the TV is saying that they are authorities. And then they believe that this will work. But the problem is, it is, is everything you don't want to do when it comes to being dehydrated. Drinking urine is almost akin to drinking salt water. And it has very similar effects on your body. But there's still people in the outdoors community that'll treat it like it's drinking Gatorade because yes, urine contains electrolytes. The thing is, urine is containing electrolytes your body's trying to shed. Toxins are toxins. It doesn't matter whether they're found naturally in your body or not. Something becomes toxic when it's in your body at too high of a level that causes damage. That includes 
electrolytes. If you have too much salt in your body, it can cause harm. If you have too much potassium or magnesium, it can cause harm, especially to your kidneys, which are already going to be under stress because of the dehydration. So we really want to not drink urine. It's like drinking salt water. You're going to be flooding your kidneys with toxins they already filtered out. It's going to make dehydration worse. It's going to be also diminishing returns. You're replacing old water back into your body. So there's going to be less and less every time. The other issue with this is it's also not sterile like a lot of people think. You have different bacteria in your urinary tract than you do in your gastrointestinal tract. So if you get urinary bacteria in your gut and it develops there, you can have issues like upset stomach and fatigue, as well as vomiting and diarrhea, which will further dehydrate you. A lot of people, when they, they smell or drink urine, they might throw up just automatically because of that, the psychological factor. And that will also further increase dehydration issues. Uh, so just drinking urine is a bad idea overall. It, I wouldn't recommend it. I don't think anyone who knows anything about biology or actual survival and outdoorsmanship rec would recommend it. Please do not take these quote-unquote survival experts on TV as gospel truth. Go to people who are actually credentialed in science and have actually done true survival, not just stayed in a hotel behind the scenes. Uh, so it, it's really important that we get this across. Please do not drink urine. Now, that's not to say we can't turn urine into drinkable water. There is a way to do that. That is different than drinking water, uh, aka urine, directly from your body, is to use it to create water. We can pull potable water or drinkable water out of our urine through something like a solar still. If you don't know what a solar still is, I will leave a link in the show notes to Mythbusters where Jamie did a nice demonstration of a solar still. Essentially, you are making a greenhouse effect, causing water to evaporate, dirty water or salt water, saline water, uh, urine, and you're causing that to evaporate good clean water, which will condense, fall into a container, and thus be drinkable, leaving all the bad stuff behind. What you can do with a solar still is urinate on a shamog or cotton cloth or something like that, put it into the solar still, have it evaporate, leaving all the bad stuff behind on the cloth, and then the potable water will dip into your container and you'll be able to drink it. Now, this still has issues like diminishing returns. It's going to be less and less water every time, but you can at least still drink it. It is drinkable water that won't have the nasty effects on your body, like drinking straight urine would. You won't have the, the toxins, the, the salt, which will decrease hydration. It won't be as psychologically damaging, causing throwing up. It won't have the bacterial issues necessarily that'll cause dehydration through diarrhea and throwing up. It's just a, a better way to go. So if you're really bent on seeing if, if urine can help you s survive situations, you would use a solar still. You would not drink it directly. So it is possible to turn urine into a usable source of water, but you definitely don't want to rely on it because again, it's diminishing returns. It's going to be less and less every time. So to summarize, dehydration, it's just so important. It's one of the top threats when we're in the outdoors. You want to know how much to drink. My recommendation is at least a gallon a day or four liters a day for those of you in the rest of the world. Understand that most Americans are going into the outdoors already dehydrated, so you want to make sure to be prepared by not only packing correctly and planning your route correctly, but drinking water before you go out on your excursion. 
Understand that a water filter is not a fix-all. Water filters are not always good enough. They could break like if they freeze or they could be useless if there's no water around. So you really want to pack at least some water when you go in with you, not just rely on your filtration and purification methods once you get out there for natural water bodies. You want to remember snow is not a reliable source of water. You need a lot of it. Snow is only 10% water, so you need 10 times the amount of snow that you would want for water. So I need 10 gallons of snow a day to get my one gallon of water. And when it comes to sugar, sugar is not an electrolyte, but it can help other electrolytes with your body. It's better to get your electrolytes through drink pouches than to eat. And also, please just don't drink your own urine. I think it goes without saying, if you think about it for more than five seconds, you can quickly understand all the problems with drinking urine. It is not nature's Gatorade like some people pretend it is. It has a lot of toxins in it. It has bacteria in it that should not be in your gut. And it has a lot of salts that can further dehydrate you, as well as the psychological factor of causing vomiting, which could also dehydrate you. Now, in the next episode, we're going to be talking about some winter survival terms because a lot of people know them but don't understand them. Those are frostbite, hypothermia, and windchill. Knowing the difference between these things and what they are can be a very important part to find planning your gear and understanding your limits when you're in the outdoors. So with that said, I hope you all stay wild and I'll catch you in the next one.